everybody, Robbie here and welcome to episode 31 of the Coach's Journey podcast and the guest in this episode is Miles Downey. Uh, now Miles has been playing tennis all his life but now at the age of 62 he is relearning how to play the game in a way that's aligned with his identity and his unique take on genius. Uh, Miles is a global authority on performance, coaching, leadership. He's the author of classic coaching books like Effective Coaching and then Effective Modern Coaching, which as I talk about was a, a really uh, formative book uh, that I read as I was starting out as a coach. Um, but Miles says tennis has been instrumental in shaping his view of people and how they learn. Um, we get into that in this conversation. It includes why and how it was so transformative to read Timothy Galway's The Inner Game of Tennis. And we get into loads of intricacies from that book um, and how that led him on a path towards demonstrating the principles of coaching to more people than anyone else ever has. That's his hypothesis anyway. And it sounds like that could be the case. Um, he's been at the forefront of business coaching for over three decades. Uh, but he's, it's really interesting to hear Miles talk in this episode about why leader performance is now his major focus and how he developed the Enabling Genius model um, by putting together a project team to look at the area of genius. And that's um, in his book, Enabling Genius. You can read more about that. Um, in this episode, we talk about the vital shift from instruction to focusing on each individual's ability to learn for themselves. Um, we get, uh, Miles says what he thinks are the two most useful coaching questions. So listen out for that. Uh, we get into a great conversation about why coaches need to look beyond the individual goals uh, of each client and think about what the job is that that client is there to do is there to do for their company. Um, we talk a little bit about Boost Leadership, which is a mobile learning platform that Miles has helped to develop with some amazing stats behind it. And we talk about, uh, as a society, uh, moving from command and control to align and enable. Uh, align and enable. You, you can probably hear that I'm in about phase three of the autumn 2021 cold. And that seems to, <laughs> that seems to include... Um, stumbling over words sometimes. So moving from command and control to align and enable and the battle between love and will. Um, and uh, yeah, in, in a world uh, generally and perhaps also in coaching that gets hung up quite a lot on control and codification, Miles is definitely a compelling ad advocate for the power of self-expression, creativity and innovation. And his passion uh, and sporadic swearing, uh, which emphasizes that brilliantly, is impossible to ignore. Um I was reflecting on, on this episode, both on having the conversation originally with Miles and on listening back. It, it really energized me. In some ways, it's, well, it's definitely one of my favorite episodes that, that um, I've recorded so far and maybe my favorite. Um, not only is Miles like a true leader in the field of coaching and an individual thinker, you know, I knew his work. Um, it was really important for me before I spoke to him um, and I got right into it um, in the build up to this interview into both effective modern coaching and into enabling genius. Um, so it's really exciting to get to riff with him on that. Um, I, I hope you enjoy that because I'd been right in the middle of his books. There are a few bits that we don't dive into in full detail because we're both speaking from a level of understanding. So excuse us if that gets too much. Um, I noticed it with self one and self two when we talk about that, which is a concept from from in a game of tennis. So do quick Google of those if you want to um, check what that is. Um, but essentially, um, in Galway's work, let me get it up. Um, self one is the conscious mind and self two is the subconscious, which is where you access flow. So I just want to give you that heads up ahead of time. Also, we talk about following interest, which is one of the things that Miles comes to in his in his book and these amazing stories that I uh, I kind of reference and Miles tells one about about coaching people. And there's an amazing story, just again, just to emphasize it. I'll talk about it again in the interview in a sec um, about 
coaching, teaching someone to catch. It's really amazing. He tells it in 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 his books. Um, essentially, that uses the following interest model, but that's also in the uh, example coaching session, which is referenced in the show notes that you can watch of Miles on YouTube. It's about getting from the client um, all the things that are going on and then allowing them to choose which is the most interesting of those to go to next. It's just an incredibly powerful um, way of uh, way of coaching. Um, so I want to also just say, uh, you know, I think that thing that I said about Miles being an individual thinker, that's that thing that he... That, that he says in this interview about doing more demos of coaching, 15-minute demos, thousands, he says, in front of people and getting more feedback than anyone else. And and the way he wrote that first book, it does mean that he comes at coaching from a kind of different angle to, to some people, or, or at least it feels to me like an individual angle. And it's just such a pleasure to get into what, what he's uh, come to understand about that. Um, and that means he also is also challenging, and he gets challenging in this conversation about attitudes to coaching, certain parts of the coaching kind of institutions. Um, and but that's that's great to hear. Um, I also love that we get to his unique genius, which is is apparently big Zen cat. Um, and at the high level, I love you know how we talk about why each and every person can find the confidence and desire and will to express themselves, how we help them do that and why it might be. It's definitely a joy and gift as a human, but it might even be, as Miles says, a duty or responsibility to express ourselves um, in our lives as a human being. Um, so there's so much in this conversation. I hope you have as, as much fun listening back as and, and get as much buzz from it as I did having it. Um, yeah, and without further ado, I, you know, Really hope you enjoy this conversation between me and the wonderful, inimitable Miles Downing. Miles Downing, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. It's a great pleasure, Robbie. Thank you for having me. Um, I, uh, yeah, I said to you when I first reached out to you that, that I read um, Effective Modern Coaching when I was just... I was just, you know, I was thinking about it this week. I, th- I think I was when I was maybe still even doing the original coaching training that I did about about six and a half years ago. And my manager at the time, uh, Alicia, gave me the book. Um, in fact, let me get my copy uh, in case anyone was watching this. What's great about this this copy of the book is that I carried it around in my bag so much that at some point I spilled coffee on it, um, which which shows among other things that it was definitely well used. And and what's been lovely about knowing we were having this conversation and reading that book and um, also getting into more into your work, like immersing myself in, in it just a little bit in, in preparation for this call yeah. was to feel the impact of that on my coaching. Um, I was watching a really nice, we'll put a link to this for people who want in the, um, in uh, wherever the people are listening, a really nice coaching session of yours that's on YouTube um, for JMJ, I think. Um, uh-huh. And you know, that reading, uh, skipping back through Effective Modern Coaching gave me it as well, but watching that was just so great to see that in action and just notice the kind of how that is a part, some of the things that I learned from you from that book years ago is still a part of my coaching six and a half years later. And partly I wanted to say that just because I, I think it's a cool thing to be able to say to you because we're on a call now. And partly because I don't know how you feel about this, but coaching is a strange profession in terms of the impact that we have, I sometimes think. How do we know what is the impact that we're having? How do we know the kind of ripples of, of our work? And it's nice to give me an opportunity to say to you, there's some ripples of your work, which um, yeah. are not just on me, but of course, to the clients that I've worked with. So, so thanks yeah. so much for all that. It's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and maybe as, as I often do on this, this podcast, the place we'll go next is to really rewind to, you know, I guess there's two ways you could answer this, but I'll just ask you the question, which is where did you first come across coaching? Um, I, in my late teens, I was a relatively good tennis player. So as a as a, a Dubliner and an Irishman, you can construe relatively in any way you choose. <laughs> um, but I, and and as I went to, I studied architecture, and as I was spending my holidays um, uh, playing tennis in the evenings and tournaments, I'd coach during the day, and that's how I, you know, some people go get summer jobs. My summer job was to train and coach people in tennis. Um, and 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 actually, I, I it was a, it's a great it's a bit like you know kind of lots of Americans go and and serve in restaurants and cafes when they're students and they learn about how to interact with people. It was it was a wonderful early discipline just because it taught you so much about taking care of somebody else, watching somebody else, listening to somebody else, um, and responding to what you were seeing. And then I then I um, uh, I came upon a, a book which was the Tim Galway's inner game of tennis and it was it was it was just a revelation but it was a revelation in the sense of I kind of knew what I was reading before I read it so I kind of I'd be wondering something as I was turning a page and Tim would go and then answer what I was wondering or respond to what I was uh, wondering um, and that that was that was the first moment of transformation because within a couple of weeks of reading the book, a guy called Graham Alexander, who later went on to set up the Alexander Corporation, and I was part of that, deputized for Tim on Irish television. And by sheer coincidence, I got invited to uh, uh, an on-court event that he did the next day. And, and, and I, was, I was, from that moment on, I, I, I was actually working in an architect's office um uh and it was clear to me that, that which one was going to win the pull so yeah that was so that that was that was the very beginning and 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 then over the years um i i i trained as an inner game coach i met tim i've 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 invited tim over here to the uk and london um and actually deputized for him on one occasion in the states um so there's been a there's been a really productive relationship with Tim. Uh, so I, I think that was the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I read in, in something you wrote that um, you, you just kind of found that book in your house. Yeah. <laughs> Is that true? And like, where, yeah. where did it, where, cause it sounds like a, like an amazing piece of synergy in you, especially the way you describe, you know, turning, wandering. It's like you were clearly in, in alignment with Tim or what he'd written and, and really ready for it. But why, why was it there? Do you know? Well, a, a, an elder brother had gotten hold of it and um, left it uh, lying around the house. Um, and, and it was literally as simple as that. But the, the other mm -hmm. bit of serendipity was that uh, when Graham came over to Dublin that time, he worked with the fencing team at Trinity College, the university in Dublin, where my sister was on a part of the fencing club. Um, and 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 she said that was how I got to go to that event. Um, so there was there was there was there was a lot of nonsense going on. If you <laughs> like to believe in nonsense, yeah, um, yeah. 
Absolutely. Was, I, I also think there was a, there was an earlier. I, I have on my desk um, a a card that I, I sent to the headmaster of um, my secondary school, um, and I keep it there because it's it's uh, because I I, I, suf- I have such love for the man, um, and um, I, I sent him a copy of Enabling Genius. But he was he was the uh, the headmaster and later the abbot of Glenstall Abbey, a, um, a Benedictine monastery. Um, just outside Limerick in the south of Ireland, and it was the, I, I, you know, there, there, there are some privileges which, which you have to acknowledge as just being an unwarranted gift. Um, and and um, I went, I went, I studied there, and it was the most benign, nurturing organization you could possibly imagine. So there was something about the values, not the Catholicism. But there was something about the values, the appreciations of things artistic, the appreciation of the individual and 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 their needs. So schooling was was. I heard I heard a story about one of my friends who wasn't who wasn't good at school. He, he, uh, we we knew him as mixer, um, and he would just wander off. We were we had kind of four hundred acres in the middle of the most beautiful part of Ireland. He would just wander off. And, and not be seen for hours. And there would come a point where Celestine, the, the, the headmaster and, and soon-to-be abbot, would actually say, Mixer, or he would have called him Michael, of course. He said, Michael, you have to attend a little bit. <laughs> so he'd just manage it. But it was the most extraordinary environment. And I think that I so I think that that prepared me to be open to Tim's message. Yeah, and, and you know, given what you've written. I think in enabling genius, but maybe in effective modern coaching as well, about the kind of what should we say? What what often happens in education systems in countries like the UK and the Republic of Ireland and uh, the US and lots of parts of of the world? That does sound like quite an extraordinary educational experience. Yeah, absolutely. So the so it's not that it's not that we weren't encouraged to pass exams, um, and it wasn't that there was absolutely no discipline in the place. But um, you were really encouraged to find your own way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about um, the Alexander Corporation and, and, and various other bits of, of that story that you've touched on already. But I'm just curious, like the inner game of tennis right, is such a, is an influential book and it's obviously influential on you. Hmm. Do you think there's a reason why it was about tennis and not another sport? Was it just what Tim was interested in? Like, yeah. the, the, is there something special about tennis that that made it the right sport for that book to be to be written about? It, it's not so much about special about tennis. It's just tennis has some unique characteristics. So, so first, Tim had been a very very good tennis player. Um, you know, he was he was captain of the Harvard and Yale have a, have a team that every number of years it might be as many as every four years. And I don't even know if they still do this, but they had a tradition of a combined team going out and about and visiting strange places, not least Dublin, on one occasion. Tim was captain of that. So what that tells you was that he had the, he had probably had the, the raw ability to be top 100 in the world. You know, so it, it was kind of um, – so the tennis was – and, you know, I've played – I haven't played tennis against Tim. I have hit tennis balls with Tim – on beautiful sunny days on grass courts in in, in West London, um, so it's it's something that that is part of 
both of our identities, um, undoubtedly. But tell us some, the, the, the better answer to your question is that uh, one, numbers of people have affinity with it because it's, it's something that anybody can play. You just need one other person. You do need a tennis court, but it's not like you know, you know, other games where you have to get a side of 11 together and it's, so you can do it more spontaneously. But also it meant that it was quite accessible when Tim started doing workshops and things because you, could, you can do your demonstration and still have the people watching be in close proximity. You can set it up so people can do exercises and try drills um, so that they have an experience of inner game rather than a theoretical presentation. So it just is a, it's, it's allowed people to engage in a way that, that, that through that physical experience and the, and the actual learning, being immersed in it as Tim was there, that I think had probably more impact than than you know sitting in front of a, a you know your man Robbins um, and and being shouted at. Um, so I, I think that was those characteristics. I think made it accessible and meaningful for people. Yeah, I guess also there's there's something if we think about the uh, as I'm thinking about you know why is it that 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 sport you know allowed him to write that book which which you know I'm realizing that I haven't read it you know but I feel like I have because I've heard about it through so many through yeah. your work through other people's you know which which has so many uh, what would you call it transferable characteristics from the ideas in the book which come from the ideas about tennis to so many other places yeah. it's partly that it's it's what one of the things that makes it such a great spectator sport for me it's partly that it's it is the individuals you know, in that, obviously, when they're at their absolute best, the glory of the flow and the incredible yeah. skill, but it is the individuals. And and so I guess that that, uh, the self one, self two, which we could explain for people who, who who don't know it, that distinction becomes, I guess, more apparent than in a game of, let's say, football, where you can afford the, you know, one of the midfielders or the right back to be stuck in um, his uh, criticism of himself some of the time because the ball's not always there and it's not so yeah. noticeable maybe yeah. to the untrained eye at least when when he or she is yeah 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 eddie jones may take exception to what yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh but yes I, I absolutely i think that's correct we can relate to it and it's it, and it's immediate yeah yeah and so and i still take people on tennis courts yeah well maybe now's the time because one of the things i you know i remembered it so clearly when i came back to the book i you know i wanted to find it you know one of the one of my favorite bits in in effective modern coaching. Well, there's there's two of them. There may be more, but the two that I remember is are, are the stories about um, both. I think it's like I don't think it is you actually. The story you where you tell it in in effective modern coaching about the catching practice. Yes. So that story. But there is the story about you. You say this great thing about coaching golf. You know, yeah. you give this example, and then you say the, the the there are two reasons why I don't um, don't give anyone any technical. Uh, you know, advice or instruction when I'm coaching golf. One is that it doesn't it doesn't help with learning. The other is I don't know anything about golf. Yeah. But this, that comes after this amazing story. Maybe that's the one to go to. Just yeah. to give, give us this give give me and anyone who's listening that kind of idea of of how that goes. Because I guess it's jumping from you saying you still go on tennis courts with people, but it's like something amazing about those stories. Well, yeah, and and, and Galway's words um, uh, were around that, where he had these, this set of words, which just sticks with me, which he said, awareness is curative. So the very act of, of, of becoming more aware um, uh, allows stuff to change. And what that means is that you've got to, you've got to, um, you've got to trust that process. 
you've got to you've got to be present to it, uh, attend to it, and and trust that the body will 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 self learn, self correct, and make those adjustments. So so um, when you when you're on 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 a tennis court or a golf driving range, if you can simply notice whether you know for on, on tennis if the ball is going long, um, uh, or, or short, and, and um, you you could then make a, d- a decision that about where you want the ball to be on the court, and um, you know say say kind of you know three feet before the baseline that would be a great length. Okay, great. So then what I would say as the coach is I say so um, you know let, let's just mark it there with a couple of balls so we know where it is. And now I want you to, I want you to forget about that as a target. You see, if I set that up as a target, you'll try to hit it and then you're fucked. But if I set it up as what I want you to do is I want you to tell me how much how much beyond that line you were or how much short of it you were that's all that's all i don't want you to try and hit it i simply want you to tell me as accurately as you can where the ball lands in relation to that line we just decided on and the person will you you'll they hit a ball and then say you know oh you know five feet long or whatever they say whatever um measurement system they use uh, or next one was short next one is longer and what happens is that just by attending or not trying suddenly they start hitting the line or they or they get very much closer to it on and and it's just so the golf lesson takes the same approach which is you you establish what a good shot will look like um uh, by by looking at the horizon and you know saying between that tree and that lamppost and about this distance and you say forget about that and they say and then you ask this question which nobody can answer at first and it's it is probably of two questions, one of the most powerful, which is what what do you notice? So, so you don't just ask that intellectually. You say, um, hit some balls and tell me what you notice. And people find that difficult to answer at first because they, you know, we're, we're so trained to comply um, that they're looking for the right answer rather than looking for simply what it is they're noticing. Eventually, they start giving you some information. You know, my my my, my hands on the on the club. Um, are are uncomfortable. My my left knee hurts. Um, I, uh, so they give you, and then as they and as they as you listen and you and you keep asking the question, what else are you noticing? Hit some more. What else are you noticing? Don't let them process it intellectually. Just keep them in the action, noticing, noticing, noticing. Oh, my swing feels a little bit jerky. And then you did, and then you so then you probably summarize. So you, you've told me that your knee hurts. Uh, your right knee hurts. That the, the the grip is a little bit uncomfortable. You, you feel a bit stiff, and that the swing is jerky. I want you to hit another few balls and tell me of all of those things, which is most interesting. And that's the second most useful question. Uh, and at that moment, and this is why the two questions work in tandem, is that in that moment, what you've done is you've brought them from a place where their attention is all over the fucking place to focused on one thing, and that's when the magic happens. When you're in that state, which Galway calls self one, uh, sorry, self two, um, you learn. You and, and it's not it's not you learn because some magic nonsense happened. You learn because you were wired to learn. You, and that's that's how that's how the human being developed. You learned to walk without being taught. That mechanism is still in your system. The wiring is still there. We neglect it, but we can reactivate it. Fortunately, and my job is to reactivate it. Um, and once they start getting that information, the, the remarkable thing happens is that whatever is going on in their stroke begins to change. So they say, OK, the guy says um, uh, he chooses. It's, uh, it, what stands out is the, the, the slight jerkiness in the, in, the, in, the, 
in the stroke. Okay. And then my question is to bring more attention to that. Nothing else. So what do you notice about that? And I get more information. I get, and, and, and he gets more and more focused or she gets more and more focused. And unbeknownst to them, because they're not paying attention to it, the external target starts to be achieved. And that's the kind of like the extraordinary bit from the stories, like the reason they, yeah. they stuck with me for, for six years or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, the reason that when I like, when we first confirmed this, I was like, the first question I'm going to have to ask him is, did that catching thing really happen? Because it's like, it's so extraordinary. And when I was reading back the catching story, which for listeners yeah. is like, it's the same process. I think it's a, one of your that colleagues doing it. Yeah. It's like, there's this moment where the guy who can't catch realizes what he's doing. And even in the way it's written in a book, about a thing that probably happened years ago. Like actually, this time when I was reading it, tears came into my eyes because yeah. it's just so amazing. I know. I don't, the tears come into your eyes every every time um, something like that, I, you know, happens. I, I, and I've seen it so many thousands of times I couldn't possibly count. It still has that same powerful impact. It's it's just remarkable. It's just and like- it's remarkable in 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 contrast to the normal nonsense we have to put up with. The 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 you know the, the power relationships from teacher to child, the 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 imposition of having to comply with other ways of people's doing things, which just totally inhibits self-expression. Now I, we might get onto it later because there's the, obviously there's there's not just the learning that you do for yourself. Is you know that I, I'm 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 still in training to be a competitive tennis player, and my coach gives me wonderful instructions. Um, and and uh, and and I've, you know, we've had conversations about how, how how to do that effectively, and 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 we work really well together after a while. You know. So it's not that there isn't a place for instruction; it's just that the first port of call is the individual's ability to learn for themselves. Yeah, hmm. and I mean, in some ways, that, that those two questions that you've given us in this part—they're the thing that that I watching returning to your work and watching you coach and reading the book again the, the effects of modern coaching it was like ah, that thing you know it's such a beautiful gentle way yeah. to work with a client in a, in a conversation or, or a player maybe we should we should do that that that, that distinction of yours too yeah. um but um so just for anyone listening you know it's like to everything you've just we've just talked about in the story whether it's the the tennis coaching or the golf coaching or the or the or the catching example is all incredibly beautifully replicable in a conversation with anyone about anything and that's is essentially and and that's what's and it's a very interesting uh way to to have a conversation it's really amazing yeah yeah very powerful yeah and hmm. and and it, it contains I'm, I'm, i've been kind of Saying some things about words like compliant, there are you know the, the, some people really struggle. It, it, it is blindingly, literally blindingly simple. It's so simple that people don't see it because they're clouded in their in their own thinking about uh, ego driven stuff about trying to solve the problem for the person about you know being seen as the coach um, about uh, you know uh, their own curiosity getting in the way. Um, all kinds of things, uh, 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 you know, need for control. You know, if 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 you know, if the person goes off in that way of thinking, which is which I you know I don't sanction. What's going to happen? <laughs> so you know, I, I've had people in 
in trainings with me who when they when they suddenly get how simple it is, they actually get angry because their coaching has all been driven by the fact that they are deeply empathetic um, and they can see what's going on for other people and they can provide solutions and answers. And they've invested in that. It's become part of their identity. And it's incredibly difficult to give up on it. And, and, and what has to happen, of course, is to, for them to work out that they don't have to give up on that part. They just might be better served by doing this other thing, helping the other person think it through for themselves first. And then, if required, those other capacities are useful. Uh, unbelievably useful. Yeah. But, but maybe just to slow down on it, you know, I suspect lots of people listening will kind of have the sense of this. But for you, why is it so important that having the other person think for themselves, inviting them to do that through those kind of questions, through the following interest, why is it so important that that happens first? There, there are two answers that, to that, one of which is deeply personal. Um, and just in my own life experience, there have been so many occasions where two, where either one of two things have happened. Either somebody has let me explore and do something on my own, and I've experienced the joy of that self-expression. And if I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say this very well because it's not entirely 100% thought through, but I think, I think that one of the joys and gifts of being a human being and maybe even something close to the duties or responsibilities is to express yourself in life. Um, and and that, that I, I'm hesitant about that because it's a, such a big call. But that's, that's so, so, so vital. And that's where extraordinary things happen um, to you and to others. So there's, so there's, so that, and the other side of that was those moments where somebody hasn't let me do that. And, had, and the appalling sense of being uh, constricted. So that sense of being contained and constricted, I, I rebel against very quickly, which doesn't always make me a great colleague. Um, uh, um, enough of that. But the other reason is that, is that, is that um, I, was, I, was, I was coaching a guy, and I, I can I remember his first name, but he's not his second name, uh, Philip. He was the HR director for uh, United Distillers, um, uh, which, which is uh, the company that owned Guinness and are now called something else entirely. And it's, it's not Diageo, but this was this was when they were United Distillers. A, a lovely, very bright man, and we, the, the, it, it wasn't really a coaching relationship, but there, but there was some of that going on. But we were we were talking about some of the things that the business at that point, the Alexander Corporation, was doing within uh, United Distillers. And he was trying to get his head around the whole coaching thing. And, and we were, it, was, it was buried in a conversation around creativity. And when, I, when he understood what coaching was, he said, he said, so this isn't about creativity and innovation in that big sense. It's about having all of those people that get coached be tiny little centers, sparks of innovation of creativity, because you release their potential to use a trite phrase. And so, but you could just see the light went on. So that's, and that's, I, I, I think that's, if I'm playing a bigger game at all, it's that, that's what excites me. It's, it's that when, when each and every person can find um, the confidence, the desire, the will, the, um, 
whatever it takes for them to express themselves. The collective impact of that, the ripples, the word we used earlier, it's just enormous. It's just simply enormous. And, 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 and I've, I've seen it happen so many times um, uh, that, it, that it's, it's, and it's that, that you, you mentioned tears coming to the eyes. That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. like seeing somebody flourish in that way. It sounds like for you probably, and probably it's true for me as well, there's like a personal side of why that. Yeah. That is so, that so captures the, the imagination, the, the soul, whatever it is. Yes. The, the, um, the experience in the school the, the, that I mentioned earlier was, had both of those things, those glorious moments where, you know, when before we had in, in Ireland in those days, we had something called the leaving certificate, which is the equivalent of the, uh, an A-level exam. The, the night before I was due to do my maths exam, I was out on the tennis court hitting tennis balls. You know, it's like that because, and nobody would have said a word if that, you know, uh, uh, in fact, I probably would have been encouraged. Um, and they would have found a good reason why minds would have been. <laughs> so in any other environment, you'd have had the ass kicked. You know, it's like, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, why aren't you doing a last minute study? Why aren't you saying your prayers? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, so I had the glorious, that glorious experience, but I equally had moments where, where, you know, people tried to get me to do things their way. And so it's like when you've tasted one, the other becomes even more bitter. Yeah. 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 For me, it was, um, I was home educated until I was nine. And wow. so I had this, and I had a particular parents who were able to do that for all kinds of reasons, able, not only in the kind of practical sense, but able and like willing and also yeah. able to create something quite special, at least for me through, through doing that. And then right. in the end I went to school and I came up against some slightly different, let's say, uh, ways of inviting and encouraging learning, which was one of, you know, still think of, you know, really for me, it was one of the, the absolute formative moments of my life was going from one environment into the other through a, let's say like three, four year adjustment period before I kind of found the ways to, to flourish more in that environment. So, so I, I, you know, I, so I totally, I can kind of feel what you're saying personally, I guess what's interesting, and I, I'm just aware that it might be because if we both have a, an experience like that, of course, we're then both interested in some of the things you've written about, about the shift that the world might be going through, about the other um, the, the other education systems, not or the other parts of the education system, not like the place you were in, but the ones which are more, um, and you talk about, you know, taking the production line to its, to its extreme conclusion in education, but also in... Um, in workplaces and and the difference between what might be coming next i'm just aware sorry i was going to ask about that and i'm suddenly aware now how you know i'm wondering how much of that is you know we're both i'm i'm very interested in that too and that's partly i'm sure because of the experiences that we've had but i can tell from what you've written that you know there's a there's again if we think about that bigger game you're just talking about that higher level thing there's societal uh ripples again for a better phrase of of what has happened in the way our institutions are arranged and what could happen uh, yeah. if it was more about um, helping people find that spark of, of creativity and self-expression. Yeah. I just wonder, as I've said all that, which isn't really a question, yeah, what are you noticing and what comes up for you? Well, two things. That, that, the, that um, we, we, the, what's clear, if we, if we just stick with the world of work for the moment, is that the the, the principles that drove us from over the last century, which are essentially around efficiency, 
um, you know, from Henry Ford and his line to total quality management right through to Six Sigma, where you can expect, you know, in a production process, one error in every six million um, initiatives uh, or, or items of production. Um, that isn't very brilliantly expressed, but it's, it's of that order. So, you, so, you know, we know how to do innovation, um, or not innovation, efficiency. But we're, 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 we've kind of run to the end of that, and we're, and we're still needing to be more productive and, and, um, and better margins and all of those good things. And, and we're starting to look to other places, and we're starting to look to how do we have the human itself um, bring more of that in. And you get into the world of things like agile, which is a big word. Um, you know, a lot of the, the big consultancies are, are out there doing programs around agile. And one, one line has been, to, has been to manage people even more closely. So, you know, so the expectation is that you will do this today to this standard and, and you get the instruction in the morning. And these are highly intelligent people in a manufacturing plant. Um, and, and you run this process and tomorrow we'll tell you what the next one is. So it's actually, so one part of it has been to screw the thing down even tighter. Um, and, then, and, then, and then you get inside. So two, two of the organizations have, have always intrigued me. One of which is, is um, the military. See, the, the military kind of invented command and control. Um, and, and of course, what they found is that it doesn't work. When you get detached from, one, it's too unwieldy in terms of decision-making. And when you get detached from whatever the center of command is and you're, you've been bred to compliance, you're dead, literally. Um, so, what, so kind of, you know, Genghis Khan learned this. You know, his, he, he completely destroyed kind of European um, people sitting in you know, half a ton of armor on top of a horse that carried another half a ton of armor. He came in with agility. Good God. His, his, uh, his, um, his soldiers, his his mates were wearing leather jerkins that weren't that only covered the front. They didn't cover the back because they weren't going to run away. It's like just the, the way, level of thinking and his speed. All of that was just, and then that 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 kind of that similar thing became blitzkrieg. The United States became very interested in how the the Germans did that blitzkrieg and took and took vast territories so very quickly. And that so they moved to a thing called mission command. Mission command says that what you have to do is one, trust your team. Um, you have to have a very clear vision that's shared amongst all the, the operatives within that team. And you decentralize leadership. So you, you align people and then you enable them. So you move from command and control to align and enable. You look at a, you look at a, uh, at, at, at startups, right? Startups have a, are another type of organization like the military where performance is key. In the military, performance is key because lives are expensive and the population in general are, are more averse to war than they've ever been. Um, militaries, in, in, on, on startups, you're, you're burning somebody else's money. Uh, and I know because I'm in one. Um, uh, and uh, the imperative for performance is just huge. So there's a whole different sense of, of and you, it, it, you know, some people have learned how to do that entrepreneurial mindset, you might call it. And for instance, one of the things about that is about making sure that everybody knows what the current primary business objective is. And a good leader will go around their team and say, how does what you're doing contribute towards the primary business objective? And it doesn't, if it doesn't, do something else. 
And it's so it so we we so we've moved into a place that that align and enable where you get make sure people are clear about what they need to do. They're aligned and aligned not just practically, but aligned in terms of purpose and meaning as well. So the vision vision of the startup has meaning for each individual person. Um, and the enabled piece is the coaching piece. So this, this, the, the, I, I see a tension between those two things. Um, and, and, and I know which one I hope would win, uh, but I'm not convinced it will because the, it, I, 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 if I've been speaking for too long without interruption, just let me throw one more thing into the, the mix because this is, this is the nub of it. There have been a number of occasions, far too many for real comfort, where I'm working in an organization and making some difference, either directly as a coach or in the past with the school of coaching where we're training managers to, to be to align and enable, essentially. And um, I then bump into the chief executive. And they, I, there are certain chief executives, I come in the door and, and we just, you know, it's just easy. We've done it. And there's another type, which I come in the door and something in their makeup just puts them on their guard and miles down he walks in. Because I, because my desire that people should um, express themselves, be themselves, um, think for themselves, question, all of those things is anathema. They just, they just do not want that in their organization. Because they're the daddy, they're, they're in control, and that's the way it's going to be. And there are, and we, we you know, statistically, we all, we, we know that there are something like four times as many sociopaths as senior level in management than there are in the general population. It's like, whoa, I'm surprised. <laughs> so so there's, a, there's a huge battle between love and will, basically. Mm. Love, nurturing, enabling, trusting, will, controlling. Um, yeah. Yeah, and is that, I, I can see on the, for anyone who's watching, we'll put the video about, of this out at some point, probably not as soon as the audio. Over your shoulder is, I think, a love, will, and something triangle. So a, a guy, shall I explain that? Yeah, that'd be great. So, uh, so one of my, there are, there are about three or four places I go to for inspiration, uh, one of which is uh, George Kelly and personal construct theory. Um, another is obviously Tim Galway. Um, and a, a third is um, As Roberto Assagioli, who was the, the guy who created, um, with others, but it was the central figure in psychosynthesis. It's a wonderful discipline. Um, and wonderful because some of his thinking is so clear. Wonderful because in there he has ways of using the imagination uh, and, and one's creativity in terms of how he trains his is therapist, so he's, he's long dead now, of course, but that but his spirit still exists. One of his models, he called Love and Will, and if the, one of his books, I think his second book was An Act of Will. And he talks about love and will as two fundamental human drives. Um, and, uh, and so love is a, is a, he would say it's a feminine energy, not saying that that's the exclusive preserve of women folk, but it's, it has that quality. Um, it's about trust. It's about the process. It's about letting things happen. Will is a more masculine energy. It's, it's much more focused. It's much more controlling. It's much more about structure, uh, 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 less tolerant, um, um, where tolerant doesn't have a value judgment on it. Um, and, and, and clearly, uh, love and will have um, good and bad things about them. 
So, you know, that, that, that nurturing is obviously good, but an overly nurturing parent, hmm. You know, if you, if you say, oh, poor, you know, Johnny comes out of school and he's been, he's a bit upset and something's happened and a parent says, oh, poor Johnny, poor, poor, poor Johnny, don't worry, you know, mommy or daddy, daddy will fix it. You know, I'll have a word with the teacher. Whoa, he's going to get beaten up because of that. Um, <laughs> that but, but not only that is you've robbed them of, of, you've robbed that person, you've robbed little Johnny of the opportunity to take responsibility for their own situation. So overly nurturing is dangerous. Equally, you know, um, if you don't provide boundaries, if not enough will is not a good thing. The child doesn't know how to fit in. Um, and too much will becomes bullying. Again, you rob ch the child of the responsibility one more time. But what Asajoli did was, was utterly brilliant. And, he, uh, uh, and from somebody else's uh, use of language um, said that anytime you've got two things in kind of opposition like that, love and will, um, it's, it, it's important to remember it's not a spectrum between the two. He said that what you do is you transcend and include. Transcend, you go up a level of abstraction, uh, and include means you embrace both love and will. So at the top of the triangle that you can see on the whiteboard behind me um, is the word, Asajoli had the word presence. So you have love and will on the baseline of the triangle um, on the two corners. Um, and on the third corner, you have uh, presence. And what presence in, I, I put the word wisdom there because it, in, in my mentality, that just has, has is, is, it tells me more about what I can do. But it's about taking a perspective of the situation, of a situation, understanding it, understanding the context, uh, and from that position of being present and, and of wisdom, of being able to uh, take an approach that's appropriate to the circumstances, which may include love or will, or maybe even something else. But that was that, and it's such a brilliant notion because if you take those three things and you put them into the coaching relationship, the the wisdom piece is when maybe as the coach you take a lead. The, the, the will piece is where you set uh, goals with people that, that you then, if they're an employee of an organization, you get the organization to sanction and sign off, right? So now you've got some structure around it. And then the, the love piece, the nurturing piece is the coaching where you help them think through how they're going to do it. So it fits into the model that comes, that's, it, that it's called lead, manage, coach, which is, which is, I discovered recently that only 71% of people who are given a job managing others within corporates, that, that sorry, that 71% of those people aren't trained, are not trained. You're managing these other people. Your job is to lead, manage, coach them, and you've no training. It's like sending teachers into a school without training them first. It's just daft. 71% um, of people in this country, given their first job, aren't trained to do it. That's amazing, and I, I, probably lots of people are like this. But certainly, when I <laughs> when I first was training coaching skills, that one of the first things I thought was, "Oh, shit! I really could have done with this when I managed people. I would yeah. have been like, you know, so yeah. much better." Of course, that the in the in how I managed people was the spark of of what what you know, sure. I bring to coaching. But it I was it was very aware of that. Um, yeah. So many places we could follow. Uh, interest here, Miles. But the one that I'm interested in first is I think there was a reference to Ken Wilbur in in what you just said. Is, is that uh, right? I, I didn't use his name, but you detected. Yes, transcendent. I, there are some things about. I mean, I, I think Wilbur comes from uh, a kind of a fairly will-led school. Yeah, I've, I've worked with consultants who follow that kind of methodology, um, and it, it tracks by, back to a guy called Werner Earhart. 
um, who was uh, a bit of a genius and always and, and a bit of a demon. Um, and he ran a uh, he ran a cult basically. Right. Um, and it wasn't always nice. He had some good intentions, but yes. So it's 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 more about uh, getting people to the right answers. It's more about nudging people and showing them the way than it is about helping people find out for themselves. So I, I've, I've got some suspicion about about Ken Wilbur, but I think some of his writing is, is revelatory. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 maybe that in particular. So for people, I, I can say a little bit. So the interesting thing for me, when I remember when I read this, when I read Effective Modern Coaching, one of the interesting things for me was that you you reference one of Wilbur's books in the back. In fact, the yeah. only one that I've read. But my dad and my older brother were really interested in in Wilbur. I, I guess as at the kind of height of maybe the or the the, the kind of end slash height of the of the integral movement's biggest popularity but I, I kind of I could kind of feel a bit of of his influence I thought maybe when I was reading the start of enabling genius too it felt like there's a there's an attempt to in that to take this enormous issue of of how we might enable people to 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 find that genius and we can maybe talk about the the word in a little bit to take to, to try and take a look at the whole picture and then bring together in one place some of or, or something that that some of the things in common, that I had across all the ways that people have looked at performance. And yeah, so it's really nice to, you know, I, I remember when I've, one of the things that brought me to coaching round and about was I'd kind of, uh, my brother made a, made an interview series called waking up the workplace, which was where he pulled together. It was like an online thing where before online, uh, what do you call it? Before like online summits were a thing yeah. almost before that, or before I knew about them anyway, maybe coming a little bit late they pulled together a bunch of people and, and they were often people who were really influenced by, by Wilbur and the integral movement, but who had taken it and made it more practical um, in the world. And, and I hadn't really found a connection to that in directly in coaching. So it had been part of the spark for me of, yeah. okay, there's a different way to think about business. There's a different way yeah. to think about the world yeah. where we're doing both. Um, we're both being really effective and maybe it's some of that masculine feminine dynamic again we're both being really effective like as effective as possible and we're here to do good we're here to bring bring love we're here to help people flourish and I'd never really seen both of those things in one place so it's very exciting and I remember reading the book and coming to that thing in the coming to the reference to brief history everything in the, in the end of that book and thinking oh this is exciting this is some of that stuff coming together for me yeah, um, yeah so it so it, it's, so it sounds like some of the ideas of Wilbur have been really interesting for you and and yeah, uh, valuable. So and 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 I think this is for those people who are coaches listening as well. Um, and I thank you for listening. Um, the uh, one of his notions struck me more than any other, um, or or stayed with me. I think is is um, at least consciously was he he speaks about that you know everything has an inner and an outer. Uh, an interior and an exterior, and that that kind of rings true. That there's, you know, that on the interior we have our beliefs, our mindset, our values, all of those things, and on the exterior we have skills and behaviors and ways of doing things. And then, and that, and, and the first time I saw that, I can remember distinctly a, a colleague drawing a line down the middle of a page, a vertical line, uh, and writing interior, exterior on either side of the line. And of course, I went to, oh, that's interesting. You know, Tim's inner game implies an outer game. Okay, fair enough. So I could see that piece. And then horizontally across the middle of the page, he drew another line. And, um, and he then making four quadrants. 
um, and above the line you have the individual and below the line you have the collective, so one and many. So you have the interior life of an individual. You know, so people like Freud were intrigued by the interior life of an individual. You have the exterior life of, a, of an individual, behaviorist, you know, Skinner and his pigeons, um, and, you know, and nudging and training people and, you know, and um, carrot and stick. Below the line, then you have the interior life of a collective, in, um, uh, common values, those kinds of things, and the exterior life, the processes by which we manage ourselves, the agreements we make. Um, and and so, so what begins to come to life is a lens through which you can look at an organization. And, and this is relevant for us as coaches because I think one of the failures of, of, of um, and, and not in every case, obviously, but, but the, the, so one of the potential failures of coaching, if I put it like that, is that we, we become um, overly believing in what the person in front of us is saying. Um, and, 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 we, and, we, and we, we simply help that person on their journey, which is a great thing to do. But if part of their journey is to thrive in their current business, we're not necessarily doing them a service, and we may not be doing the people around them a service. So I, I hold it very strongly that one of, the thing, one of my responsibility as a coach, as a halfway decent coach, is to be the best consultant I can be. Um, it's, not, it's not that um, I, uh, that's particularly my gift, but I, do, but, I, I, but I attend to it and do my best because I'm trying to make sure that whatever amounts from the coaching uh, equates to a result for the individual and for the person paying the bills. And it's kind of, that's one of the reasons I make a distinction between the client, they're paying the bills, and the person I call the player, um, because I, I need to keep that separate in my mind. Um, and, and I just like the word player too, because it has that notion of, of creativity, of play, of expression. And it also has the suffix er at the end, um, which is not ee. So divorcee, you have been divorced. You are you are the you are at the end of something. Um, whereas if you have the er, then you are the actor. Um, and 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 so putting the player in that seat seems to be important. So there's there's that going on. But so um, that was that was one idea that came from Wilbur that allowed me to crystallize and bring together some of those disparate things from personal construct theory, from Tim's inner game, and actually then bring them into play as a way of thinking about the individual in their organization. Because with those four quadrants, um, whatever happens in one quadrant will show up in the others. Um, so if, you're, if, you're, if, if your chief executive said, you know, we're going to change the culture uh, and, and, and makes a decree that everybody should, uh, and then doesn't change his own behavior, you know, the, whatever systems, whatever communications he puts in place, he, she puts in place, they ain't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Such a, such a great framework. And, and the other one that I, I mean, the, which brought us into this conversation is that idea. The other one for me that, that, that really stands out is that just idea of transcend and include and yes. shows up in, in so many ways in, but it's often a real relief to people, I think, when you hear that that's when when you, if you can share with somebody that that probably how things develop is they transcend and include is is a massive relief. Um, you know, oh, I don't have to leave behind everything from before. I'm going to just grow a little and include that and and be more. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And I mean, 
lots of lots. Yeah, it it goes back to Einstein. A problem was never solved at the level of consciousness at which it was created. So move up a level. You get a different perspective. Yeah, transcend and include. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, so many places we could go from here, but actually, I, I do want to rewind a little bit. It kind of when you were talking about the being the best consultant as well as the best coach. I mean, there's so many places we could go from there, but I wonder if we could just, if you could just speak a little bit more in terms of your journey about, you know, how it how it came that you obviously there's those this kind of serendipity, but that transition into the Alexander Corporation and alongside the inner game coaching and kind of where that took you in your journey that that because there's a lot you know there's a lot in your career a lot of different places we could go I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the kind of foundations of that in that period because I think is this right again I think I've, I've read you say in probably in one of the books that you are the slightly rare thing uh, of someone who's been coaching in the way we talk about it pretty much their whole career yeah yeah, so I, 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 I as I said, I, I studied architecture. I, I, I worked for um, about a year in an architect's office. Um, uh, as the newcomer, you get the, you get the desk by the door because it's probably the least comfortable. Uh, and I could see that um, kind of 15, 20 desks away from me in the other corner of the drawing office, there was the managing partner who was probably somewhere between 35 and 40 um, and I'm looking at the desk and saying, okay, so that's the expectation is that Miles will go from this desk to that desk and eventually end up in that one. But that's going to take a while. Um, and, 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 and it became quite clear then studying the inner game and meeting some extraordinary people, uh, Graham Alexander, who set up the Alexander Corporation, a guy called Alan Fine, who went to the States ultimately, um, who was the, the, the inner game coach who initially trained me. Um, uh, he was a great tennis player. Uh, he, um, and he set up Inside Out in um, the States. Um, and, of course, the, the wonderful uh, Sir John Whitmore. Um, and I was around those and a few others, uh, Ben Cannon, not least. Um, and we were, and, and, and it, was, it was a wonderful time. I was, you know, 27, 28. Uh, my first client was McKinsey. For those of you who don't know who McKinsey are, they are the world's preeminent management consultancy. And they became very, very interested in, in what we were doing um, and invited us in. And as a, so as a 28-year-old who knows nothing, I'm, I got this great gift. It was the most extraordinary gift. They put me for about 10 days on a, on a kind of a, a fairly informal and impromptu training program, which was designed to help me understand the, the history and the practices of McKinsey. And the purpose of doing it was that coming in with the message that we were coming in was that we wouldn't get um, rejected by the organization um, that, uh, and that we'd be able to manage our way around those things, bringing in the slightly different message. Um, and, and McKinsey, I'm uh, ple- mostly pleased to say, have been a client ever since then. Um, and I've worked for them all over the world. I addressed their 2008 Partners Conference um, and and various other things. So they've been really big, but it gave me a really important understanding that, that, that what I was, it's where, it's where the idea of being a good consultant came from. Um, uh, and they also, the professionalism that goes with that, the, the, the rigor that goes with that, the, the restlessness that goes with that was all part of that learning um, and, and, a, and a wonderful blessing. I got to the point within the Alexander Corporation where 
um, there was kind of nowhere for me to go. Um, the business was of a certain size. I was beginning to get my own ideas. Um, and um, uh, it, was, it became time for me to, as gracefully as one can, when those kinds of relationships begin to crumble a little, um, that it, the, the danger is that they get emotional. We made sure that didn't happen. And I went and set out on my own. And within a couple of years, I had, I had taken responsibility, responsibility internally for the training of new coaches. So I was beginning to form an idea about how you do that most effectively. And that led to the, the formation of the, the School of Coaching. Um, and, and I think that was in... I'll pause after this because we probably need to draw, draw breath, you or me, um, or maybe anybody who's still listening. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the wonder of it all, and, 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 and i be clear, there was... There were plans and there were intentions, but things happened that, that I couldn't have designed or planned or predicted. The most extraordinary thing about the School of Coaching for me personally, well, there was lots of things, but you know, the people I met, the work we did, the ripples we created, um, it, was, it, was, it was just wonderful fun. Not always, but for most of it. And, and you know, really great people on the team. But, but the, the, in terms of my kind of what I was becoming, I was coaching. And I was teaching coaching. Now, it, and, and so that meant that um, the, 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 the distinction as I were, I were making were being tested in the heat of battle the next day. Also, as, as somebody who was teaching coaching, I, was de- I, th- I think I probably demonstrated more coaching than anybody in the world. And I, and I, I say that with, without a smile. It was, I, I think that's probably true. I have sat in, so, in front of so many people thousands of times giving a 15 minute demonstration of coaching so so you know that's kind of that's a, a pretty um you know the white heat of battle boy do you learn so you make your mistakes you get the feedback so i've got more feedback than anybody else i mean i, I really really have I've, I've so much feedback not all useful but you know most of it tells you something um and then and then i had the opportunity to write the first book on coaching all around about a five-year period and of course, because I'd been teaching for it was more than five years, but it, but it doesn't matter. It was I wrote that first book in three four day weekends, and and, and it's I, I I don't say that kind of out of pride or ego. It was just that everything had been distilled and practiced, and it was it was what I was teaching, and it came out almost like a stream of consciousness. I didn't I I don't think I edited any of it. It just went down on paper and to the publisher, um, and and that was that that was it was those three things that allowed me, I think, to make some really clear dis- distinctions in and around what I was teaching and what I was doing, that that saw a leap in the quality of what of, of what we were doing as coaches, but also in f- of how we were teaching. Yeah, and I mean, those things, all of them. Each of them alone would be enough to help somebody, you know, clarify their thinking, understand what's going on. But the three of them together, and if they happened in that, what do you say, five years or so? Yeah. Then, then, yeah, because it, it is something that it is something, Miles, that comes across in in. I haven't I haven't read the original Effective Coaching, but I've read the Effective Modern Coaching and I've seen you talk. There's a lot of overlap. There's, 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 so it's 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 fifty percent the same. 
Yeah. But it, it's like, it, it kind of, how can I put this? When, when you re, when I'm reading it, it, I can tell that it was, it's not quite created independently, but it's like that it, that it comes from, it doesn't come from someone reading the ICF stuff and then not, creating not, their own not, way. Not, of, not, sorry, say again. Not much does, <laughs> but it's like, sometimes when you, when you read something about coaching, it feels like it's based on something you've already seen, but there's some, there's so many nice parts of the way that you speak about coaching that at least for me feel like they've been developed by independently in some way. And what I imagine that is, is this thing you've just said, the, the white heat of battle with those thousands yeah. of demos. It's yeah. like, you're going to get clear after yeah. a while on, okay, what happens? And if I only have to do one thing here, what do I do? And what's yeah. the most, you know, what's the most interesting or important way for me to show this and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I think that comes across and it, it also touches, I guess, on the genius piece, which is that, you know, those perhaps too oft trotted out stories about 10,000 hours, which isn't, you know, you know, now now isn't quite what it was and all that kind of thing, but like the deliberate practice that was definitely happening through all those things. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, hmm. and so just say, if you, if you don't mind, say a little bit more about the school of coaching as an organization, um, both, both kind of, who who were you training? Uh, how did that develop? And then, you know, in the end, you you brought that your involvement in in the organization to a close in a couple of different ways as that as that evolved and emerged on. I, yeah, I'm just curious to hear a bit more about that. Um, I, I I I think the the um, I I was clear right from the beginning that I was not to be the manager of the school. That was not the role that I should take. Um, and how did you know that, or, or why were you clear on that? Because uh, I can't add. <laughs> um, uh, um, I think I think what I've I've learned is that I'm um, I wasn't then, and probably although things have changed, and I've worked on it, is I'm I'm not as commercial as some people around me, uh, maybe to my detriment. So I was, my interests were more um, driven by the, the principles, um, the, the mission. Um, and I needed somebody beside me who was strong to uh, balance that and, and provide the, the, the business management framework that would make us successful. And for many, many years, we had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady, uh, Tricia Bay, um, who came out of uh, Deloitte Consulting as the managing director. And in those days, we thrived, absolutely thrived, um, and uh, growing slowly but steadily. Um, and then it was the, the uh, and that was, there was a good relationship between herself and myself, um, and, um, uh, and, a, and a really good team. Um, and she had the wisdom and perspective to, to know when she should lead and push and when to let me you know, do the other side of the business, which was kind of not managing the faculty, but, but keeping the faculty uh, true to what we were teaching. Um, 
there was a constant battle where people wanted to bring in their own models and their own ideas. And what you ended up was with an agenda that we were teaching, which became more and more crowded. And my job was always to strip it back and say, no, no, this is the essence. This is what we teach. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, and, and so that kind of uh, leadership. And then um, it, it got to a point where um, the business was, was beginning to be hit by the, uh, the fallout from uh, the crash in 2008 uh, and the 9-11 scenario. Uh, and we were, we, were, we were struggling to make it work. It was still working, but not, not well enough. And JMJ Associates, a, a, a small consultancy that has global reach who specialize in um, safety and uh, what they would call incident and injury free. So it it's goes back to our friend Wilbur an approach to, um, to safety on construction sites and oil fields where the, the, the deep intent, profound intent, is that nobody should get hurt, um, uh, which is different. Listeners may be surprised to hear from what most, most health and safety is about, which is about adhering to rules. Um, uh, and uh, the, the, I sold the business to them. And that was healthy for a, a while, but then I realized that I needed to spread my wings again. And um, and moved on, and it, the school is in their hands. Mm. And and so it it's now presumably running. Is it running training for people in those in those industries? Was it was it always a primarily for training in like uh, was it public facing or was it always for tra- mainly for training managers in coaching and people no, in no, relations? It, no, it wasn't. It, so we did we did run open programs for you know, for uh, individuals. To, to come up to, but that wasn't the, what really happened was that the, the methodology got absorbed into the bigger JMJ business. Mm. Um, and, and, and those people who were on the team who stayed got absorbed into the business. So, so what you, what, what the, the outcome, if you like, is that uh, they now run really, really powerful programs for what in the past we would have called health and safety um, supervisors who are now health and safety coaches. Um, and you know, and, and I, I, I was there for the initial part of that transition, and it was remarkable to see people who were um, not well respected on site, um, the health, the health and safety guys, or the, uh, or the safety uh, supervisors. Um, you know, people would run from them if they saw them coming, um, and the conversation and kind of, kind of with with good reason. Like I, I don't yeah. know about the individuals, but it's yeah. like that's the kind of because you mostly the health and safety supervisor is there to tell you off for doing something you shouldn't be doing, yeah. but probably inside you think their kind of jobs worth because the, the yeah. rule that they're following, it doesn't feel like it affects the real life. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. a bit, but, but the, when you said health and safety coaches, you know, it's like, that is different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, and the health and safety guy who has no authority, you know, is, is trying to find ways of, of telling people how to, you know, so it just, does, just doesn't dynamically, it just doesn't work. But when, when the, the, the safety supervisor learns to come alongside the, the operative on site um, and, and work through with them what might be difficult about a given situation and what the options were, it's a completely different adult-to-adult conversation. It's utterly transformative. Utterly. So that was, so that was you know, so I, you know, it wasn't all a good thing leaving the school like that, but I, I did need to go on and do other things. Um, and, um, and I didn't want to get integrated into a very, you know, a very good business, but it, it wasn't for me. Um, 
uh, so yeah, it, it, but it, it left all that that material in a pretty good place. Yeah, and and if you like, maybe it's those questions we talked about and the following interest piece that we kind of hinted at. But if you were to think about that, that those ideas that you developed, particularly perhaps in that five year period, but but that then got refined after that, which are the most interesting? I was going to say important, right? But it's like I'm aware of the your distinction between asking about important and interesting. But which are either the most important or the most interesting? of those ideas from the school of coaching from that body of work yeah hello to my daughter leah if anyone can hear her in the background she's having a moment what's her name uh, leah. leah yeah lovely yeah. Uh, hello leah um i'm 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 not sure how well i can answer the question i think i think the thing that 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 well the thing that comes to mind is um It goes back to that deliberate practice thing. Mm. Um, I, I was part of a Facebook group a long time ago, and then I got off Facebook completely. And there were there were there was, it was I think it was an ICF group or one of something like that. And and there was a conversation about coaching and techniques and standards and whatever else. And and some guy from the states writes in and says, "Well, I, I tried that that questioning thing and it didn't work." I kind of oh my god. So I wrote back and said, "Oh, mate, you know." Very good. Have you had any training? No. Well, it's like, so, so what, 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 what for me, coaching is by the dictionary definition, it's of a craft is something that's done with the hands. Um, and although the hands can be important in coaching, it isn't the primary tool. Um, but I, I think of coaching very much as a craft. And, I, and, and all of what I've tried to write about and teach is not about theory or standards or ethics um, or anything like that, because frankly, they don't help. What people need to know is how to do it well. And so thinking about it in terms of a craft and a craft that's something, something that you, you don't learn once and then you've got it. You continually nurture through the, your lifetime in that profession uh, and maybe beyond. So I, so. I, I think the, the important thing for me that comes out of those things was to understand, at least in my terminology, that coaching is a craft uh, and that you continue to get better at it. And that once you learn the, uh, I, I, I am a better coach this year by some margin than I was five years ago. Um, and, and that's about learning some kind of higher level things about how to trust my intuition, um, how to, some of, some, of, some of those things are quite technical as well. Um, uh, but it's it's and that's what's important is that you never stop learning and that you you, you kind of you need to have a respect for your craft um, and uh, and and I think that that focus on the craft and and the, and in the books it's all about how to do it. There's a little bit of kind of inner game theory, but it but the, the, that kind of, or, or whatever or I might spin off occasionally. But essential and that's why the stories are there. They're tr they're trying to give you a picture of oh that's what it looks like when somebody's doing it. And that, so that's the that's the attempt at any rate to communicate it. So I, I yeah, I think that's the best answer I can give you, certainly at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great, Miles. And yeah, I, I, I guess before I've got another question for you about this kind of period and, and coaching more generally. But I'm curious. So part what you've been learning recently is just such an interesting thing to think about. So yeah, in the last five years, you said it's like you're notably a better coach, or you feel like that. Some is about trusting intuition. What are the other things that you're seeing in your coaching, 
your well, as a craftsman that 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 are developing or have been important recently? So the, so so um, I, I put together a project team to look at the whole area of of genius of potential, and and genius is merely another way of saying. Well, no, it's a bit more than just another way of saying potential because it actually it puts your potential within your grasp. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought I think that's a that's an amazing paragraph or two in in the book Enabling Genius about the word genius versus the word potential versus what's the being your best self. Oh yeah, yeah, you know. give me a break. Um, so, so you got to say I, more I, about I, that. Sorry, we brought no, that. In. You have to explain that a bit more. My, 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 well, it's like well, you know, what that opens yourself up to the excuse, which is you know, of a, in a compliant society, and, and we are complicit in our compliant compliance. Um, it, 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 well, my best self just wasn't good enough. It's like, oh, well, okay, fine. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're setting yourself off the hook before you've even started. When you say I, I did speak at a conference for the ICFF in in, um, in Malmo a few years ago. And there was one of those guys who wears a blazer with, with the, the kind of the brassy gold buttons. And, all, and what that's telling you is I'm an, I'm an important person. You know, I, I have status in my bowling club or whatever it is. Um, and, and this guy's blushing came up after me. I mean, he was almost in a rage. And he said, he said you, you can't say everybody's a genius. I said, oh, okay, why not? Well, and he, he gave some reasons. So I said, okay, so let's, let's just let's slow down a bit. Um, do, do, does everybody have potential? He said, yes, of course. So I said, okay, that's good. So, yeah, well, of course they do. I'm a coach. Of course they have potential. Right. Okay. That's, 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 I kind of guessed you'd say that. So they have potential, but it's capped just short of genius. Is that what you're telling me? And the guy just looked at me in the eyes and said, and he could, he, you could see him go, oh, fuck inside because yeah. trapped in his cup. But he had the grace to say, I need to think about that. Yeah. But credit credit to him because it sounds like yeah, you know, absolutely. you've really shown him a flaw yeah. in the thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, the, and the purpose, one of the purposes of, of the Enabling Genius book was to, I noticed that some people I was working with were making a request of me then to, to go beyond the, the, my, my more habitual approach to coaching. Um, but that whole thing of kind of the non-directive term, I don't like following interest, um, you know, helping them do the thinking. But I, but I, I realized that to, to go there, I had to have some structure that would allow me to go there safely and responsibly and not just to go there as a function of some bloody whim I had. Um, so we, so we, with the team, we did some research and you're right, we, we tried to condense it into something that was meaningful. So, the essence, so what's been happening since that book was published, I, I, I've been involved in a mobile learning platform, which I intimated earlier, um, and that's kind of been a great thing, but it's, it's been four years of, of time when I've devoted two-thirds of my time to that. Um, so there's been less coaching. But what the coaching that I have been doing has been had more attention, had more because there's less of it going on. So I, I tend to think about it a bit more. And, and, uh, it has a little bit more, I build more distance from it. So I'm I, there are a number of things. Technically, um, enabling Jesus allows me to do things that a kind of normal following interest uh, wouldn't allow me to do. So for instance, I have a conversation with people very early on, almost always about what I would call their direction of travel. And a direction of travel is a gentle way of encapsulating everything from my sense of purpose to where I want to be in five years time or whatever the same is to vision to all of those things. So it's a, it's a kind of a, it's, it's not a strong masculine will thing. These are my goals. It's more, it's got a more feminine energy to it. It's more about this is, these are my desires and my interests. But, what, but if I know that about another person 
and it's, you know, when we worked on it and it's clear, I could help them make really great decisions about whether the next decision they're making or step they're taking is going to take them closer to or away from their direction of travel. It also puts me in a place where I can challenge more quickly. So what, what I'm finding is that be, um, because, I've, I've, because I no longer think about my technique, I don't need to, it's been sublimated, um, I've got more attention on the, on the person that I'm working with. And I think I see what's emergent in them long before they do. Uh, and that's a terribly dangerous thing to say. I'm, I'm completely aware of that. But I, so I, I can do that profound thing of, of listening intently and understanding and summarizing precisely so that somebody hears and sees what they're thinking. But then I can also put spin on something. I, I, the, 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 I have a wonderful situation where a lady who I helped get herself out of a bad situation in a, in a, in a private equity business. Um, and she and her direction of travel was about setting up a business in private equity that she was the leader of, the founder of, the, the person who formed and shaped it. She knew that later on she might have to move out of that particular role, let somebody in as a, an operations director or something, but that was the idea. And they would use technology. So wonderful, beautiful, integrated direction of travel. And she told me also, but as en passant at some time, that her brother was you know, highly respected, highly intelligent slightly maverick character, again, in the world of finance. Um, and she looked up to this person and whatever else. And one day she rings me up and said, Miles, I've just had a conversation with my brother. It's really exciting. He wants to come and join the business. I said, no, on no account. And she said, what? Because that's not what you expect from your coach. Yeah. No, what, what, what? I said, remember your direction of travel? She said, yes. I said, right. You and only you right now, hold the vision and need to form it and make it real. And that's what, that's what your intent is. Yes. And you can see her just kind of go, oh, because if, if she worked it out, that if the brother came in, he'd take over. He was older, too much respect, the dynamics, blah. It was, it was, it was a lot. So it's like, so what I find is that I'm, I'm, it actually comes from a place from a more profound understanding, I like to think. Um, but, I, but I've got things that allow me so that the enabling genius model says that there's, there are a number of things that are critical. Identity, desire, um, mindset, and they overlap in the, in the center with learning, learning and development. So identity is an understanding of who you are. Um, there's, a, there's a wonderful American tennis player who he has a physique that one might um, at, at it's about six foot eight or something, maybe, maybe even more, with a big kind of beard that you might find from somebody who cuts down trees. Um, and he's got a very strange, you know, he, he, he's profoundly thoughtful. And he was talking about his favorite clothes designer, which was kind of a bit of a surprise in the first place. And he said, she knows what her identity is. And she said, it's the same for a tennis player. You have to know your identity, because you, you that dictates how you play the game, how you practice, what you develop, which is what enabling genius is about. So that idea of having a clarity about your identity, your core identity, perhaps, but also your identity as a coach, if that's slightly different, your identity as a, as a leader. So, I, so, so identity, really, really important. That's the basis on which you interact with others, in, how they perceive you, um, how you grow and develop. And if it's not there, you don't know what your tactics are. If you don't understand who you are as a presenter, 
<laughs> what do you do next? <laughs> it's like you do what somebody else did. Well, it's not going to work. Um, desire is about um, a kind of it's it's love and will. It's a feminized version of 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 motivation. Um, mindset is about understanding what it is that is that drives you, um, and what what are the components, the values and principles that are about your mindset. And then the learning is in the middle because that that um, because all of those things are capable of changing. Your identity is capable of changing as you pass through the years, uh, and and you're capable of making them all stronger. So I now have a. In 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 uh, early years education, they use the word scaffolding, and you know so a scaffold is a a shape in which something else gets built. So this, I've now got a scaffolding that gives me me and my my players um, security. I guess I almost said clients, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it gives it gives it gives us a set that that security that we're going somewhere safely, uh, and that it it will take you somewhere. And what that in turn has done, I, if you, one of the remarkable things that seems to happen is that as you clarify those things, identity, desire, mindset, um, you tend to increase the moments of flow in your life. So when I'm coaching on a good day, I'm as completely in flow as I can be. And what flow gives me is access to all my resources, my intelligence such as it is my creativity such as it is my imagination um, my empathy my ability to formulate stuff and say it um, my awareness of where people are in their their own mental state in that moment and i literally most of the time don't know what i'm going to say next um, and that's and because i hold this thing as a craft the gift of that is that um, and it, it, well, that's where you end up. You, you think of a, a master craftsperson, I hate the word master, but that's the word we use, um, you know, huddled over a lathe or something, totally in tune with their piece of wood and creating something in that moment. And it's, for me, it's the same thing. And there's, there's something about, it's not, it's not quite as obvious, I don't think, with the, I'm not sure I can do it in the, in the craftsman metaphor. Um, but in coaching, I think that thing you said about the, like the, the, I sometimes see it before they do or way before they do. And and that feels like a risky thing to say in coaching. That's, I think it's another, it's like probably the third, I only know probably three Ken Wilber ideas, but it's like, I haven't read a book about this one, so I don't know if I'm going to get it right. But in a way it's, it's another Ken Wilber idea, or at least I heard it from that, which is, I think the pre-trans fallacy. So it's like the, the two things can look the same. Uh, at different levels of of development but that doesn't yeah. make them the same and a oh. beginner who said to your client who said yeah. no no chance you're letting that person into the business we're just coming from their own thought and and their ego and all those other things yeah. that's really different to you with all the scaffold of an yeah. enabling genius with all the thinking that came out of the school of coaching totally in flow knowing that no is the right thing to do and that, I, I just think it's worth saying that because it sometimes it, it's a really tricky thing when you're starting out as a coach because you learn the frameworks. Like you, you have to learn and know the rules uh, so that you can know when to break them. And um, often when you, where if you watch like really experienced coaches, they break the rules. And I think one of the reasons is that thing that, that I've just said that I think you kind of told through yeah. the story you just told. Yeah. And, and, and core to all of that, because I, I, I think, I think there's more 
available to the kind of the apprentice coach to use a craftsperson model um, than they might otherwise believe. So if you can, um, if you understand what your intent is, and that also comes back to your identity when you're coaching, then that begins to, to free you up. See, if your intent is to um, help people, you know, solve people's problems for them, you're in trouble already. If you, if you, you know, um, uh, um, and I, I had to do a lot of work on that. I, I, when I, between the Alexander Corporation and School of Coaching, I, I, I did some work to help see if I could understand what was it that drew me to coaching, and, um, and, and, and what to oversimplify it. Um, when I was five, uh, there's, a, there's a complete blank in my memory. And what had occurred in that time was that uh, my sister, Hillary, who was eight, so three years older than I, whom I idolized, uh, and we were, we were uh, very close. She died of leukemia. And my memory of that was that there was Hillary's sick room, and I kind of wasn't allowed in there. So what I, what I took from that, what I construed out of that, was that if I don't understand what's happening for people, they'll die, <laughs> which, uh, which is a very unhealthy way to run around the world, I have to tell you. But boy, was it so, so you know, wow. You, know, is there, you, you think about that. Is, it, is, it, is there any, you know, it doesn't, it, of course I'm a coach <laughs> or, or, you know, or, or somebody in some kind of similar helping mm. profession. And 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 to be frank, in this, it's like you know, I, I noticed that that I have, I have, um, some of the best work I've done has been with women. I don't know. What I, there may be other parts of that dynamic that I haven't quite explored. But it's but in, until I understood that I was trying to save people, I was not going to be a great coach. So I think that in understanding your what your intent is, um, and. That, that 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 means that those more intuitive response responses um, are acceptable. Not only acceptable, but that you should start listening to them, even as a beginner. And I and equally probably don't do anything about them. <laughs> so I had a rule for a while, which I we used, we used to teach in the school of coaching, which is that if a question comes to you from kind of your, to your imagination or presents itself in your in your cranium, first of all, shut up and listen. And if it comes back two or three times, an observation, an insight, a thought, then maybe you need to attend to it. <laughs> and, and, and so, so because, and, and one of the questions might ask before you open your mouth and speak is you might just stop for a second and say, close your eyes and say, hold on, what's my intent in telling this person this thing? And if you can answer that question in a way that's in service of them, then maybe you should say it. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah. So, so yes, um, the culmination of the experience and whatever else is more time and flow, but I do think that's available. So when we, we go back to deliberate practice, one of, one of the really interesting things, that I, and I'm, I'm not going to do this experiment. I've got too much else to do. But you know, what, what they, what none of that science looked at was the mental state of the performers at all. It would be really interesting to see, you know, the difference between somebody who spends 10,000 hours learning the violin um, in a state of fear and doubt, <laughs> it being, you know, under the, the imposing 
presence of a parent, um, as, as opposed to somebody who's learning in a state of joy and relaxed concentration. Yeah. What, one third the time? I think yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great question. I'm sad you're not going to do that. Do, do that research. Someone should do it. Well, somebody should do it. Yeah. Really yeah. Now, Miles, I want to, I want to just kind of slow down for a minute and and think about like time frames because I think there's something. So I have a there's a community based around around the podcast, and um, one of the members of the community asked a great question. You know, knowing that I was going to be speaking to you about about kind of, you know, you've seen a lot change in the field of coaching. You've seen it because I think this is right that the the Alexander Corporation that was for you happening in the in the eighties. Is that 87. right? Eighty seven. Yeah. Eighty seven. Yeah. And and then the school of coaching uh, over, I guess, kind of what ninety six, late nineties, early noughties, thousand and eleven or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really nice in the we touched on it a little bit already in the one of the reasons in in effective modern coaching when I went back to it in the last couple of weeks. You say near the start is you know the one of the reasons for revising it is that the world of of work particularly but the world more generally was shifting and so the workforce that people were coaching or or in as they were coaching was different it was a bit less command and control a bit something yeah. different and i guess this is going to be a big question so take take what you want from this like what have what what's been interesting or what have you noticed about the way coaching has evolved having seen it through all that time especially because you've been paying attention to it a lot because especially in the school of coaching time maybe that's the first question the second question is going to be like what's coming and and what do you think the future of of coaching is yeah um it's it, I, it is it, it it is interesting because nobody had nobody owns coaching nobody has the right to say this is what it is and i think when i started writing i i, I worked that out pretty damn quickly um, um, and because I wasn't going to rubbish somebody who was doing what they were doing in a completely different approach to, to the way I do it and having the success they were having. That would just be completely inappropriate. There are thousands of people out there, particularly in the world of sport, who apply really a relatively directive model. Um, and, uh, and, you know, if you, one was to be um, kind of snooty about it, you might say, well, it's really training. Um, and but 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 nobody owns the world. Nobody owns that word. Um, and and right from the very get go within the within the world of of business coaching, because um, business coaching interestingly grew up here much more than it did in the states. Yeah, I was going to ask about that I, I, again. I, I must have read you saying that somewhere. Like that's a really interesting thing. Say say some more about that. I mean, it's, it's like you know, even even to this day. Uh, although there's there's quite some coaching going, you know, it's 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 a it is a, a word in the in the in the business culture lexicon. Um, it, it's in the states it means corrective. It's a corrective intervention. You're you're failing. We'll give you some coaching. So for the most part, that's how it's understood. And there's still that a bit here, but here it's become. I th- I think we 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 um, uh, we professionalized earlier. Um, we had some very smart people coming into, you know, uh, either academics or uh, people from kind of, you know, the, the world of consultancy or the world of business who were smart and successful. 
or people who, who, is, are those uh, some of the people that you mentioned already are there other particular uh, ones that stand out yeah the, um, uh, um, uh, there was a, a lady who joined us heather dawson who joined us at the alexander corporation came out of mckinsey and 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 she was so cool and, and so clear and so professional um uh and you know um she she became part of the team at Presta. Presta were the, were the first organized um, coaching house that had a in-house supervisor um, for their people. I mean, it just you know, so there was there was a, an air of professionalism among certain parts of the the either the the early or the kind of the next stage emergence of coaching through the the through the nineties really, uh, and that's when things like EMCC started to spread its wings. Um, and um, although I've, 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 I, I'm nervous about some of you know, what goes on in the name of coaching in these large institutions uh, like EMCC and ICF, I, the, the, I have a, a lot of time for uh, APEX, the Association of Professional Executive Coaches, and for EMCC um, because they're, they're profoundly well-intentioned and really trying to do the right thing. And, and what's the nervousness? Um, what's noticeable is that and it's packed to what we were saying, which is that there is no definition of coaching. And, and, and to oversimplify, and this is true of the ICF much more so than any of the others, is that so you, so you can't create a community um, where people's where the diversity of practice is so great. So, you know, I, the ICF seems to me is, is that its primary um, job, whether it wants it or not, or knows it or not, is to amass as many members as it can. And that way it has clout and might be able to dictate. But you, you don't hear them talking much about what coaching is and making distinctions between, kind of, in the old ways of speaking, directive and non-directive. Um, and um, so, so anybody can get into that church. And the only way they can do anything about it are published codes of ethics and standards. It's like, that's really not going to help anybody be a better coach. It may help them not fuck up, but it's not going to help them be a better coach. So I, so I, I so when, you know, when another damn thing comes through from one of these organizations saying we're reviewing our ethics, I'll go, oh, great, you know, that'll change the world. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean to be harsh, and I do mean to say that Apex, EMCC, and others have a profound mission and, and a great sense of responsibility. But there is a problem, which is that nobody's saying, um, nobody's making it, trying to clarify what great looks like in this space in terms of the practice. You could, you know, and that's that's hard. Um, so, the, so and, and 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 so the shift that you when we started this part of the conversation, the shift is towards greater um, codification. Um, but I'm not sure we're codifying the right things, mm. and if, and um, and I'm not sure what's happening out there in terms of um, the the actual work people are doing. Um, and and then, and then there's, there's the second thing that, that that I find where I think you, you might know, but and people listening won't, is that a, a number of years ago uh, somebody in New Zealand read my book, and it so happened that they were in charge of. Uh, um, development of the premier rugby rugby coaches in New Zealand, and I get a an email and then a telephone call in short succession. Miles, will you run a session for our premier coach, coach rugby coaches? 
I thought, bloody hell, I knew, I mean, I knew half the guys' names, you know? Yeah, because for those uh, who don't know rugby, like this is New Zealand is in, in this period, right, is the oh, by far the world-leading operation. Okay, but no, nowhere close to anybody else. And, and you know, and, and the pride of the nation. Yeah. So I literally went down to, they invited me down to New Zealand to, for, for one day <laughs> to run a program. Which so I, I did manage to attach some pro bono stuff to that as well. Uh, and, and a great friend, a guy called uh, David Webster, um, a number of my friends said, "Oh, I'll come with you. I'll carry your bags." And <laughs> I, yeah, great. And David said, "I'll come with you." And and I said, "Great." And he said, "And I'll pay my own way." And I said, "Fantastic," because he's 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 a, we've worked together in the past. He was part of the school of coaching a big part of the school of coaching and 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 when we're both on it we're a great team so it was a delight so we went down there did our did our gig somebody tells eddie jones and i get invited to do a, a, a longish program with the uh, the coaches have all left which is significant um uh to help them up their game as coaches and he and, and wait, eddie, wait, wait. Is the, it's significant because uh well, because of england rugby eddie, situation or yeah, because eddie's of what you did with coach, eddie's style of coaching and i'm not going to rubbish because i think he does something I, he just he's a man of enormous integrity and i actually I, I have a profound liking for the man and and what he's trying to do and his his uh, kind of zero tolerance around it but you know zero tolerance is, is a dangerous game to play so, so his method of coaching and mine are not necessarily, at least superficially, compatible. So I think mm-hmm. we, that wasn't the best engagement that I'd ever, ever run. But the point of the story is that if, if Eddie went in and saw what people were doing in the name of coaching, he'd ask one, I'm, 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 I'm putting words in his mouth that he wouldn't <laughs> ever say, but I think what he'd say is, what the fuck are they doing? Mm-hmm. So what's, what, where are the results? You know, because coaching has become predominantly, particularly in the corporate world, uh, I, I, I'm a non-executive director for an outfit called, a um, wonderful outfit called Action Coach, which maybe we'll come back to. Um, and they are business coaches, and that purity of mission is fantastic. But the world of, of, of ICF and EMCC and the people in large corporates that, that take on coaches, you just have to look at where the buyers of coaching sit they sit in HR, and they don't, and they and they sit in the training part of HR. And what they're trying to do is to ensure that the people who get coaching comply. So they have to go through Myers Briggs or these are our values or our competencies, and you coach to that. So, okay, great. What's your job? What's your primary business objective? Nobody asks. So I, I think I, the the other thing that worries me is that is that to some degree coaching kind of disappears up its own backside because it's got this need well i don't know what it is it's so focused on 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 learning and development i did one of the founders of emcc i I had a bit of a battle at one of their meetings a good 15 years ago and i wasn't very popular for for the first time in my life (laughs) um and and uh um and so we organized a a separate meeting again Miles has got something on his mind. Let's organize ourselves a separate meeting so that we, we contain it and don't infect the rest of the, the membership. Uh, so we, and just, you know, 10, 20 people sh- showed up for that meeting, amongst them some of the founders, and I won't mention any names, of the EMCC. And I, and I said to one of them who was sitting beside me, I said, what's the problem? Why, why don't people coach for performance? And he said, it's very simple. We're afraid of 
pinning our colors to that mast. And I kind of nodded wisely, and I thought inside, I thought, you know, it's just such a lack of integrity. Mm. So do you think what that person meant was, you know, we're afraid to tie coaching to results in case it doesn't deliver? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I, under I understand that as like a as like a coach, <laughs> you know, it is like one of the scariest bits really of coaching, like sitting there to a certain extent, sitting there, listening, following interest. That's the easy bit. The bit where you say, what are we here to do? Like, yeah. what are we going to have done? Yeah. How do we know in yeah. three months, six months, 12 months that we've done good work together? Like yeah. that's scary because, and, and scarier still is coming back at the end of three, six or 12 months and being brave enough to go, well, where did we get to? Yeah. You know, or obviously hopefully uh, having yeah. checked in partway through, but I get that fear. That makes sense. And, yeah. and like so, you say, there's a, well, well, maybe you could speak to that, that the integrity gap there, then why is it an integrity gap? Because why else would you ask for money from an organization if it isn't to make the organization better? So it just doesn't make sense. And I, I think this was a really important thing I want to say, because I know that there are, and I, and I, I have some friends <laughs> like this who, who, um, do unbelievably good work in the realm of helping people grow and develop within the context of organizations. And I am not for one moment saying that that shouldn't happen. I am saying that it's severely out of kilter. And I am saying that there's a wonderful opportunity there. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's really difficult to get into those conversations because you're speaking to somebody relatively young and experienced in an HR role who doesn't even know what you're talking about. So the gatekeepers to performance coaching just want you to comply and join their bench and coach to the competencies or whatever it mm. is. I don't do that. I coach to self-expression. I coach to have people achieving business results or whatever it is they want to achieve. Yeah. And is that... Hmm. I don't know if this I don't know if this works as a question. So if it doesn't, feel free to bat it away. It's like if we take this kind of before can you hold the question while I just say one thing to complete the last piece? Yeah. Because the other thing that I think is, is important is that I'm that in that what happens then in my world of what I call leader performance. That's what I do. Um, and it's not leadership, it's leader. It's you acting and delivering results. Um when I, when I understand what the job that they have to do is, what the results that they're there to create, and usually that means doing some things themselves, but the majority is done through other people. The question then becomes, what is it that you need to, what, what, you know, what is it in your identity that lends to that and that we can turn the volume up on? And what is it that you need to grow or develop that will allow that, that particular unique genius flourish? What do you need to? So that so my the it's not that in my world of coaching, learning and development doesn't happen. Good God, no! But it's in service of the results, and and of course, then the learning is meaningful and it's tried out the next day. And I and then, and you know, so you were going to do this meeting differently. I ring up two days later. How did it go? So you're you're in there on the behavior. Did it? You know, is it changing? <laughs> it's a different proposition. 
and I interrupted your question. And I apologize, but I wanted no, to. I, make- think, I think like trust the intuition, Miles. I think this is this is better than what I was going to ask. Um, and it gets to something else that was in my mind. I just want to make this clear for people who are listening or or, or check it with you. So is the is this right? The key distinction that makes it business coaching is that there are business results that yeah. form a part of the work that is being done. And yeah. The, uh, yeah, and the key distinction, and maybe it's the same thing the way you think about it now around leader performance is um, that it's, again, is it the same thing? It's, it's very much in service of that leader performing in their role in the context that they're in. I, I'd be even, I have launched one bank that you know, when I say I have launched, I didn't do it, but I coached the the team that did, which was Egg. Came out of Prudential. I was with that leadership team for three years before that bank was launched, well, two before it was launched, um, and 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 that was the business result. They were charged by the then CEO um, of of um, of Prudential, uh, Harris Richard Harris Harris. Can't remember his first name, um, and to consider first of all to consider options for the growth of the, of the institution that crystallized into this idea of an online bank, first one in the UK, that actually then became that. Uh, there it was, you know, you could see it, bricks and mortar in Dudley. Um, I, I've, I've launched another investment firm in, um, in Madrid. Uh, I've, I've helped uh, uh, Goldman Sachs set up an office in uh, Hong Kong. They did all the backroom processing for for Asia Pacific, and so it's 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 like it's like no, I'm mean, like, so 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 what so when I sit down with somebody, one of the questions is so what so what's the job? What are we here to do? And and you know what, I can I, I some people might find that threatening, and I know nothing about business really other than what I picked up by osmosis. Um, it's just so exciting. I mean, it's just because because. There's the energy, the enthusiasm, the everything has purpose, um, and I and, and and I think there's I think there's a lot of merit in that, and 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 learning is exponential. It's different, isn't it? Because it's different, kind of. Is it thinking back right to the start of this conversation and and the the following interest stories about. The golf swing or, or the, the, the yeah. tennis grip or hitting the baseline or whatever it is it's like the learning almost happens a bit by accident by focusing on yeah on the it's, performance. So thank you i hadn't made that connection you're you're so right yes brilliant thank you got it <laughs> <laughs> yes it only took me 30 something years but i got it <laughs> and, and, and miles just like on a really practical level and, and maybe you've just said it and i think it's just like that's a great question. And I'm probably going to ask the next five clients, at least that I start working. It's like, what's the job? Like, what are we here to do? It's just such a great thing. But I'm aware this happens in some of my work sometimes, you know, I always like probably influenced by you and, and your book, you know, because there's a great bit in effective modern coaching about having that three way relationship, right? The, it, what you call the client, the player and the coach. Yeah. Now I always ask people, you know, what's off limits, you know, when I'm coaching through a company, you know, usually because for my integrity, I, I will double check. They say nothing. And I say, are you sure? Because like, is it okay, for example, for me to coach this person out of the organization if that's what they want? And they always say, yes, actually. What's really interesting every time I've done that, they, they, you know, and I think that's 
there's quite a lot of integrity in that actually because that's yeah, i agree because right. that's probably for the best for everyone but quite often there's you know the person contracting the coach or the co- you know quite often a coach might end up coaching someone in an organization and as we've had this conversation a few of my the people i've worked with the the, the players um in your language have crossed my mind where you know yeah I, I can look back on that and question i don't doubt that we did the right work for that person but actually i don't know that that person wasn't just creating like you say more problems for the for the people around them yeah. so if it's me in that situation or another coach ends up in a situation where they're going to coach someone but you've only really got access because of maybe this is a maybe this is a false assumption or something but it feels like you've only got access to the person you're coaching What's the most important things to make sure that that coaching becomes is closer to leader performance coaching or business coaching and less likely to be doing the slightly less effective compliance related stuff that you've been talking about? So I um, the, the answer is in part of the, in the way the question is phrased because uh, in most cases I I don't allow myself to be reliant on that individual. Yeah. So I will speak to you know, the, 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 you know, the person in the in the, the introductory role, the HR um, buyer of coaching or whatever, will have something to say. Um, um, I'll have the conversation about what's the job. I'll probably speak to their boss. In fact, I will speak to their boss if they have one. Um, and sometimes that's the chairman. And I'll say, so, you know, you know, we, you know we've spoken about the role is, but but what's the job right now? Um, and that can be a very productive conversation because actually you're effectively coaching the chairman at that moment. <laughs> um, and then and then you speak to members of their team because you want to find out equally if there's what you want, still want to find out what the job is. Uh, you want to understand more about the organizational context of culture. You want to find out how that person behaves as a leader and get some you know some feedback for them, but also more importantly, um, kind of triangulate your own opinions. Um, and 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 come to a more balanced perspective. So I so that that's I I, I find that to be um, uh, not always the most enjoyable part of the um, the engagement, um, but vital because it, it it it's a way of holding us all to account. Yeah, and I guess it goes back to that some place we jumped off on in this conversation quite a while ago about being the best consultant as well. That sounds like the cons- best consultant in you. Yeah, it's precisely. Yeah. Yeah, I, you may have already kind of spoken to this one, but in your view, obviously the the distinction towards leader performance coaching or business coaching is is really important for coaching as a profession. Um, if if that doesn't ha- if people don't place enough emphasis on the result on the job. What do you think is the risk for coaching? I think you said disappearing up its own ass, but maybe there's like a, a more like a more. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you can make that make that more real. Maybe. Well, listen, I I, I, I can be really crass. Um, but what I could charge twenty years ago to coach somebody in a large, you know, one of our retail banks um, for a six month period, um, and what I could now coach them. Uh, the rate I can now coach them just bears no comparison. Um, so it, it's gone like up exponentially. No, no, it's gone down. It's gone down. Yeah, because of no. competition or no? Well, it's it's partly from competition. It's partly because um, the 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 
the, the, the people within organizations have consolidated their approaches and say, you know, we employ these kinds of people and we charge them and this is how you charge. Um, and these are our rates and you're not given an option. And, and so because so many places have done that, it's very difficult to break that cartel. Now I can because, because I'm more often than not, not approached by the HR people. I'm approached by the, 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 the person who is senior who speaks to their friends and says, you know, who should I, who should I work with? Um, and that gets you in through another door and, uh, and you can create another. And you're in someone, else, someone else's budget, yeah. maybe. But, that, but that's the point is, is that at a very crass level, the value of the activity is a fraction of what it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Seem to be by, in terms of what mm. organizations are willing to pay people to do this stuff. So it's, I don't want to devalue what's being done. And I, I really, really don't want to cause any offense. And, but apart from not wanting to cause any offense, I want to be clear that actually that stuff can be hugely valuable to people. That, you know, that, that, but it's not the value that it could be. Um, and I think it's, it's less about what the, I think the, it's, it's less that, it, that it's damaged. I just think it's a pity mm. that, 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 that we're depriving people of the opportunity of flourishing and, and being successful in their places of work. And it wouldn't take that much in order to do it. But the, but on the, on the other way I think about it is, boy, is this an opportunity. There's, there, there's one organization in this country that's growing, more, that's growing, and it's growing exponentially. And it's Action Coach. Mm. And it's, it's a different kind of fish. These people, and when I first met them something like 20 years ago, I was a, I was a bit dubious because it was, it was – they were effectively training senior people, not senior people, owners of businesses, small and medium-sized enterprises, um, on the essentials of running a business. One-on-one -on -one training. And it was brilliantly documented and brilliantly worked through. And they made, they, 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 you know, they were doing, and they've grown and they've grown and they've grown. And they've, and they've, and the people they're attracting are Maybe different from those in the early days, although that and even then you could see the as because what what we what we've created in the last few years is they've begun to synthesize the stuff that I know with the stuff that they know. Hmm. So these guys are going out and they've got a really honest remit. And and the direction of travel is something like you've built this business up, you're struggling to grow it any further, you want to retire in five years' time. We're here to help you do that. And they do it by good business common sense and 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 processes that they put in place and having a good advisor at your side and increasingly by being great coaches. So I, and, and, and I just think there's a, there's a kind of an honesty to that model. I am being paid by you and I will get the next client because you profit. You're better off. Your business is better. Your people are happy or you can now retire or whatever it is that you want or, you know, or acquire the next business or whatever it is that, that and just, and it just, there's a, there's, yeah, I think it's, for me that there's an honesty to that. And I, I forgive this slight detour, and we did speak about it, uh, Robbie, earlier, just, to, yeah, yeah. just so you know, anybody who's listening, that, that organization, Action Coach, is, is, is you know, it, it doesn't require you to be a great business person because they'll train you in those techniques. Um, they are growing fast and, and, and much more to come. Um, their values are really, really now quite extraordinary. They, the fact that they've kind of absorbed me and my ethos into the business and continue to do that and want me to be around is a statement in itself, I think. 
if that's not unduly self-grandizing, <laughs> aggrandizing. But there, but there, so it's a franchise model. You can buy a franchise and they'll, you, know, you can find the finance to do that. And there are people in that business and, you know, and they're turning over more than 100,000 a month. And they're getting all the support they need. So if you're interested, talk to me, you'll find me on the, on the internet in either buying one of those franchises or just, you know, they're looking for good coaches. Boy, are they looking for good coaches. They are, and I, I repeat, they are the only coaching organization of any size in this country and probably anywhere else that's growing and growing fast. So pitch aside, I apologize. Back to the chase. But, but it's also, you know, no, I think it's the, yeah. the perfect time for the pitch because it is that, you know, what, what happens if you try and tie it so tightly to the results, which is yeah. why many people would come to coaching in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, everyone would come to coaching in the first place for some kind of result. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't be parting with their money. Um, hmm. you know, I've just remembered a ridiculous story. Um, many years ago, I was coaching somebody um, and... Um, they were, uh, this was in tennis, uh, and, and some of the, the essence of you know, the principles were already present. Um, and um, I said, so what's, what's, what's your goal? Um, well, um, I want to beat my husband. <laughs> the trouble was I got myself out of the job because three weeks later she beat her husband. Yeah. Coaching <laughs> <Nothing> stopped. <laughs> yeah. Her goal. It is a risky thing. I, I should have put in a performance bonus. <laughs> It is that. I mean, that is a risky thing when you work with clients. That if you do, it's, really, happened, it's happened more than once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it that it that it finishes early, and then you got to like, well, you, in that situation, that kind of situation, I'm always trying to think. Okay, but in the long term, what's best for me? What's best for me is to achieve an amazing no, no, result yeah. in three weeks no. with that woman, right? Yeah, and, and you've got and now you've got now you've got an advocate. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I've I've always been because that's what I was saying earlier about not being so commercial. Um, I'm, I'm now much better at saying, so if, you know, if there's anybody in your network who you think could use my services, let them know. Yeah. And they yeah. do. They do. And Miles, like, you know, we've been talking for a long time. We've got, covered so much ground. I want to be respectful of your time and, and also listeners' time because, of course. You know, because they, they, they've probably got other things to be going on too with their day. So you can hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there will be. Don't worry about that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that we haven't got, you know, I'm really glad that we've touched in some ways on the scaffold of, of enabling genius. because I think there's so much in that book for people to, to pick up and, and take, um, take with them, in, whether they're a coach or not. I'm really glad mm. we've covered a lot in, of what's in effective modern coaching in different ways and in your ideas around coaching. Um, we haven't really touched on boost leadership, which is the startup we touched on it. We haven't got into it. I mean, I'm really curious, but um, probably that's for another conversation, another time, but, but maybe just before we finish, what is there that you've got coming up in your work or life that you're excited about? Well, I, I, I one of the things that has sustained me so working in a startup is and this one in particular has been very tough. Um, uh, and we, it's been, you know, we set out to create a unique product the world hasn't seen before that actually delivers um, learning on a mobile phone. And we are getting, I don't know if you, if you look into the statistics on how successful mobile learning is, it's kind of like in the 20, 25% of people signing yeah. up, people staying at it, all of those things, it's nonsense. We're getting 
north of 95% people signing up, completing, and we've built in tests into it. So we know that they're learning. So people are passing, 95% of people are passing at 80% or more, the, the, the score they get. So it's totally gamified. It's got coaching embedded in it. So yeah, you can see for people who go on, go on the website, there's like you can see the miles downy stamp as well, yeah. and some of the some yeah. of the things you can kind of so, read so, on so the visuals and things. The essential teaching is done through role plays, and you in interactive role plays. It's gamified, so you get scores and, and you learn the stuff. And then we do some action learning where you're given tiny little missions to go out and you know if it's the one on feedback, for instance, it's you know give feedback to a member of your team. But we break that down into five tiny little steps for you to take. Identify the person, arrange the meeting, you know, and I, you know, think, plan the meeting, and we and we help you plan the meeting. So the coaching is built into it. Um, so it's and it, so it's it's gone an absolute bomb. It's just been. It, we're, I think we're just about to be acquired, um, which would be wonderful. And then I can and what's and and because that's not what my I went there to. I've been working on the notion of uh, a kind of a, a virtual coach for about 20, actually more years. So it's great to have that one out of the system so I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, because what I'm, what, you know, the, the savior of the last, of, of working in that in, uh, intense environment and, of, um, and lockdown has been the, the small number of coaches that I've, client, clients, players that I've kept on board and my work with, with um, Action Coach because once a month we have a morning where I work with their people in, 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 in a, in a, um, a large group to talk through some principles maybe, and then with a small group where I do something that's much more specific and, and sometimes even looks a bit like supervision. So that's been, that's been just wonderful. And it looks like I'm going to be doing more of that work with Action Coach in the next few years. And I relish it. It's, um, it, it, it's you know, when people keep coming back to you after the session and saying, you said this, what did you, you know, tell me more about what you meant or can I ask these questions? So, you know, you're making that difference and you know that that difference translates into, you know, thousands of business across the country. That's, so that's exciting. Leader coaching is exciting too. Um, uh, leader performance coaching, um, uh, working with, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about working with kind of 10 people in any given month, but in a relatively intense way. Um, and um, we've just, I've just, uh, a guy called Ian Harrison has helped me write a book, uh, which is on, which is about from the, the, the strap line won't be this, but it, what it, it's what in essence it is, it's from command and control to align and enable. Mm. So it, it's, it's the enabling manager is the title. Um, that'll be out in the spring. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, um, and then the next book is something that I've been writing all my life, which is a thing called The Sessions which takes a, a series of eight conversations, so paralleling the coaching conversation that takes place in Dublin pubs where a guy with a business problem uh, in Donny and Nesbitt's uh, bump, bumps into a, um, a softly spoken person with a mid-Atlantic accent who's older and wiser. Uh, and they have a conversation that leads to the guy taking a big brave step so it kind of follows the hero's journey as a model but it takes you through all the stages of enabling genius but that's that's very much in the background what you're getting is the story of two guys drinking too much guinness in a, in a pub in dublin where the where the ball catching demonstration that you mentioned gets plays out with a lemon <laughs> with a guy called butterfingers because he can't catch yeah and 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 
when's that one miles or is that too far in the future to know i i'm hoping that i'll be able to i've uh that'll be finished within the next year yeah, I, there might even be a chapter on my website if not i'll put one up <laughs> it's, it's so much fun to write but but it's 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 uh, it's about and then if i've been completely overindulgent i played tennis in my youth to quite a high level um and um um in the last 10 years as part of the enabling genius project my genius project was to identify my unique individual genius on the tennis court um, and to relearn how to play tennis in line with that identity um, and it's meant that every single behavior and skill has been relearned uh, it's taken me because i could only play once a week at the most it's taken me six years probably more um, no more because I've had a, n- a number of injuries um, and I'm now hitting the ball at 62 harder than I was when I was 26. I mean, like significantly. Um, and it's, it's the moment of greatest exhilaration during the, during the week. Yeah. I'm glad you told that story. because I was going to ask about it because it's a great enabling genius came out a few years ago. And so in that book, there is not the, the denouement of that story, but I love that you, I, I love that you took that that project, like what a powerful way to learn about whether you're getting it right in the book, right? And, and, and let me, maybe this is, I don't, you'll be the judge of it, maybe it's supposed to finish, I don't know, but, but let me, because the idea of identity is, is so, so vital. One of the, there have been two coaches along the way in particular in, in this phase of learning, relearning to play tennis. Um, and it took me a while to get them to realize that we can't just patch me up. We can't just kind of correct the faults and put a sticking plaster on it. Because I'll just do myself injury. It's got to be fucking perfect. So it's you know it, it's like it's like it's like how kids play now. And when one of the coaches said, "Okay,", okay he, when he got, it, he said, "So so let's just take a step back." He said, "What's your signature?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, who do you look like?" So he was clever enough to identify people from my era, McEnroe, Edberg, one or two others. And so he said, "You know," so it's, so we kind of kind of began to form a composite of of the bits of those players. And that was when the idea of identity began to take grip. And then that got worked on for a number of months and it got down to something which is, which I now have on the back of, 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 of my sweatshirt, which is Big Zen Cat. One word, capital B, capital Z, capital C. And, it, and it's an absolutely authentic expression of the person who one shows up in life, but also shows up on the tennis court. Because big means that I, because I've relearned to play, I hit the ball with more topspin and with more power than anybody at my age group. I mean, they're all wearing bandages anyway. So it's like, but, 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 but so this ball is coming in to the, onto the baseline and it's threat, the hit is threatening. It's big. I'm also left handed, which, which means the ball naturally goes cross court into my opponent's backhand, which is always more difficult. Zen means um, it's about how I manage myself. And at first I thought that was kind of like, you know, some people do that kind of very um, put on their game face and, and no, no visible inflection of the, of, the, of, the, of the skin of the face. No, you know, no signals or no nothing. Uh, and it took me a while to learn out that that was completely ridiculous because I was having so much fun inside expressing myself, but I needed to giggle a bit more. Um, and cat means is that I, my strategy is designed to kill the ball within three hits. I remember saying to my coach at one point, I said, uh, Ben, there's a real problem. I said, you know, it gets to kind of the fourth or fifth hit of the ball. And, um, um, and, and my, my, my technique begins to disintegrate. And he looked at me. This guy was 23 years old. And he said, yeah. I said, well, it's disintegrating. He said, 
yeah, but you're supposed to win the point in three strokes. <laughs> so, 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 but what, what, apart from the humor of that, once I know it's big Zen cat, that now dictates my strategy and my tactics on the court completely. Mm. It tells me what I need to learn and develop. Um, uh, it's just, you know, so, so, and, and I, and you know, this nonsense that people in sports say about having, you know, you got to believe in yourself. This is horseshit. It's the most dangerous thing you can ever say to anybody. What you've got to believe in is in what you're doing. You've got to believe in your game. And that's how little bit of detachment is really helpful. So, boy, do I believe in Big Zen Cat. And I know how to. So, what I'm trying to do with people in the world of work is to establish what that identity is, is as, a, as a leader and have them live it. And when they do, it's typically very, very powerful. Yeah, do you get them sweatshirts with their, their identity on the No, but it's a brilliant idea. You should definitely do it. You should definitely, definitely do it. Miles, it's been it's been such a pleasure. Um, before we ring up, is there anything that you want to kind of say to listeners or anywhere in particular you would point them if they want to learn more about you or your work? I, I would point you to to um two places that that um uh I I'd I'd get people to yes, read Tim. Um, the first game on inner game of tennis is no, there's a very little known book called inner tennis, difficult to get hold of, but the first three chapters, four chapters are stunning because he does the best job ever of condensing the principles. It's much better in terms of the other is more kind of poetic and, you know, you know, sixties, America, California, humanistic movement and kind of good stuff. This is much more practical. So inner tennis is worth looking at. I am a complete fan of George Kelly and his notions of um, uh, personal construct theory. Trevor Butt, B-U-T-T, wrote a really good book that I can't remember the name of um, on personal construct theory. Um, it's to hand, but, um, uh, and, and it always is. Um, the Shaper of Personal Meaning by Trevor Butt, George Kelly. Um, and... Um, that's been because it, it it tells you in that idea of construct so much about about um, how we f- form that identity and how we bring it into the world. So it's really it's kind of it's kind of before we started speaking about non-directive coaching. That's the reason why it, that, that tells you why it makes sense. Um, and then the other place that's worth going is of course um, Asagioli um, and psychosynthesis and, and reading a bit on that. Um, and there was something else, but I've completely forgotten. Oh yes. Um, the pinnacle of performance as a human being is linked to a mental state known as flow. So uh, remind yourself of um, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi and his work on flow. And I, those, the, those things, those, that, that's, that's the kind of the, as a Catholic, that's the Holy Trinity. Mm, nice. <laughs> Collapsed Catholic theory. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. We'll put, um, we'll put links to all that wherever people are listening to this. Um, but look, Miles, it's been an absolute blast to have this conversation with you. Um, thanks so much. Um, yeah, thank you. And thank you uh, for doing this, for your listeners. Thank you to you all for listening. And it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Hello, everybody. You made it all the way to the end of the episode. If you did, you must have enjoyed it. And, and uh, I'm really glad to hear it. Like I said, I had an absolute blast having this conversation with Miles. It was really exciting to have and to listen back to. Um, as you made it all to the end, 
all the way to the end. Presumably you enjoyed it. Otherwise, you, you should stop earlier. Um, but as you made it to the end, I'm going to trust that you did. And therefore, I'm going to ask if there might be one of a few different ways uh, that you can help support the podcast. So the first one is um, subscribe, share it, um, rate it if you can, leave a review if you're on iTunes or something like that. Even if you don't listen on iTunes, if you've got a, an Apple Podcast account, you can go in there, leave a rating. That would be amazing. That's how we help the podcast find uh, new people, uh, new listeners. Um uh, you might also want to support the podcast financially to help make sure it keeps going, to help it reach uh, more people, um, to help me cover my costs um, and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, you can do that by just giving a certain amount of money every month um, and you get a few benefits back. Um, and it, yeah, like I said, it's a way of helping keep the podcast going and helping it reach new people. You can do that at patreon.com slash the coach's journey. Or um, you might also want to be part of a community of coaches who want to um, thrive in their businesses, thrive as people, get supported uh, by me as their coach. And if that is the case, um, you can do that by joining the Coach's Journey community. Um, you can join from as little as about £10 a month. You can pay up to about £100 a month, depending on, on how much you pay. You get access to a different number of community calls. Um, sometimes you get some one-on-one -on -one time with me too. Um, you can learn all about that um, at uh, thecoachesjourney.com slash community there's one more call um in uh at the end of november for um full members and diamond members so that's diamond member is the is the 20 pounds and up uh, membership so if you want to uh sign up for just 20 pounds you can try out that call see if you like it and then decide whether you want to continue into 2022 of course it's also a great way to connect with other coaches um and it's the most uh flexible and affordable way that uh, i have for coaches to receive coaching from me um so like I say, you can find out more about that at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Um, and you can also sign up uh, on the Patreon page too um, to become a community member. Uh, and uh, while we're here talking about community members, big thank you to Alex McIntyre, Alex Swallow, Joey Owen and Ken Bruin for their ongoing support of the podcast. So I hope we'll have you back again soon for another episode of the Coach's Journey podcast. But in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of the day and best of luck in your, in your coaching work. Mm -hmm.